0: Isn't that a good story? I mean, really uh, well-written, takes-you-in kind of story. A good story will always draw you in, and you will want to be maybe one of the characters you, you identify with, you invest in them, you get really disappointed when, they, when things don't go well their way. And uh, this story, uh, it, it's like that. So uh, Patty and I, wa- we've watched a lot of movies. Um, we find, I find them interesting, and, um, or at least some movies. And uh, um, when we watched La La Land, uh, we were very disappointed that Guy didn't get Girl in the end. And that's that movie's a couple of years old now, so i if this is a spoiler alert for you, then forget it, it doesn't matter if there's the you know rule of whatever how many months it doesn't matter anymore so um but that that leaves you it leaves you feeling hollow and empty when it what you want to happen the characters you identify with doesn't work out when uh, uh it, it it would be like. I'm going to use the, the Princess Bride. I just assume, and this is my thing, I assume everyone here has seen the Princess Bride. Now, in me saying that, it's kind of like if you haven't seen it, you're going to feel, you're going to, you're, you feel like, well, I guess I'm out of it. But you, w- you will be out of it. So, so let's just, yeah. So it would be like in the Princess Bride if um, Wesley, you know, he dies, and, but who brings him back to life? Miracle Max. And what if Miracle Max hadn't been there? What would happen to Princess buttercup. The whole ending would just be messed up and that little boy would be crying still to this day. And uh, Peter Falk, I don't know, whatever. But it's when the story doesn't go the way that you want. So we're at that point in the story now. Will it go the way that we want it to go? It's either going to be Boaz that marries Ruth or this other guy that got brought up in last week's story. And um, he's first in line. The other guy is first in line. So there's tension in the plot, and we're going to see how that gets resolved. Of course, we've we've already read it. If you were listening, you know how it gets resolved. But we're going to go a little. We're going to hover over it a bit and uh, see some of the the uh, juicy details of it. We remember where this story started, real briefly, that you have these two widows, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and they're walking home towards Bethlehem. Is Bethlehem a city that you've heard of recently? Like we just sang about it, didn't we? Or we're going to sing about it in a little bit. So there's that connection with the Christmas story. But as they go along the way and as they get to Bethlehem, Naomi says, God has not been kind to me. And she is feeling without any natural source of hope or supernatural source of hope. She doesn't realize what she has with her. She has Ruth with her, who loves her with this kind of love we've talked about, hesed love. She's clinging to her. And as much as uh, Naomi is bitter about how God has treated her, Ruth is saying, I want your God. And it's an amazing, it sets up for an amazing drama uh, as these two women walk through the story. And the story uh, where we got last week is that we find out that Ruth is humble and bold at the same time. And in her boldness, she declares out loud to Boaz there in the middle of the night, marry me. You know, guys can be a little slow sometimes, so she just went for it. And uh, then he says, after considering a bit, he says, I will marry you, but there's this other guy who's in line first. (laughs) So in the morning, I'm going to go check, and I'll check with him, and if he doesn't want to marry you, I'll marry you. So Ruth is taken care of, but we don't know by whom, And for us who love how stories turn out, it really matters. Like, we're going to feel really different if this other guy, you know. So uh, there's the setup. And um, can I get, I don't have my clicker. Uh, Brian, can I get an advance here on the slide? Yeah, there we go. From empty to full, that's where Naomi started. And then get that uh, next slide. This is going to be our outline, the setup the pivot point and the prayer's answered we're going to walk through this together so it starts out in verse 4 uh, or chapter 4 verse 1 with the word meanwhile which is a great Word for stories. Meanwhile, Boaz, so this is the next morning uh, after uh, Ruth had proposed marriage to him. He's out there early. He's going to find this guy. And the best place to find a guy is in town at the gate. Think of the gate of the city being something like City Hall and Starbucks mixed together. It's where you talk. It's where important things get discussed. And ultimately, it's where legal things get decided and, and agreed upon. So they're at the city gate, and uh, the, he then gets 10 witnesses together that are going to witness whatever happens here. This is all going to be official and uh, above board. And then we get to, um, we learn the, that this man is called the uh, guardian redeemer, and the uh, word there, I'm going to get that next slide up there, and um, with the key words on it. If I can, Brian, there we go and go ahead and put those up there. The, these are the three words that we've been, uh, well, the first two we've been at before. The, these are Hebrew words. The first one is hesed, loving kindness that clings. And the next word is what we translate guardian redeemer, a relative who sacrifices himself to set you free. And that would refer, we're going to come back to this, but the person of Jesus Christ is a redeemer. redeemer. He qualifies as a goel in the, uh, in the big picture uh, And then the third one. We're going to say this together. This is a fun word. Let me say it for you, and then we'll... uh, Poloni almoni. Go ahead and say it. Poloni almoni. It's a Hebrew word. That's literally what it says. It's translated friend here. That's very kind of the translators, to translate it friend. It means something like Joe Blow or Mr. So-and-so. That's how we would translate it. It means this: we're not interested in who this guy is because uh, he's he's not going to play a great his part in the story. Isn't worth he's, his name isn't worth mentioning. Is basically what the author is saying. So uh, they just he substitutes this word Poloni Almoni, and you know you might say Topsy Turvy or uh, Mandy Pandy or whatever. It's just a word that indicates this man is Mister Nobody somebody. All right. We're going to have some fun with that. So the writer, the Hebrew writer here is, is brilliant in his use of words and the Hebrews love to do word plays. So I wanted to, I'm going to bring that into the story and see why it is that his name is mentioned in that way. Now there's, there's um, we find out here for the, the first time in the story that Naomi actually does have some land, and uh, it, but it must be under foreclosure or at great risk of she's at great risk of losing it. She needs somebody a goel to come along and help her to redeem her land so it doesn't get lost. In uh, and this is really important to understand in that. Worldview of that day: If you didn't have land and you did not have an heir, so those two things, land and heir, you have no future. Meaning, the way they looked at it, you have no eternal life. There was no there's no word for heaven at this point in the Bible. That comes later. The way they saw eternal life was that once you died, you lived on through your children, and they have to have. Well, you have to have children. You have to have land. That makes you permanent in Israel so that 's why she is so uh, much distraught because she has no future and uh, no possibilities uh, that she can see and so the the Pollone Almoni is uh, put before him is the proposition from Boaz. If you buy this property, then you will take on, you'll be helping Naomi, you'll be doing your duty as the Goel, and uh, so he's now thinking it over. And let's just imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, uh, maybe he's uh, using his enlightened self-interest and he's doing a cost-benefit analysis. That is what we do. Uh, We we determine if something has more cost or more benefit. And he's thinking, well, I'm going to have to support Naomi. So I have an extra mouth to feed. I'm going to buy some land. I'm going to have to shell out some money for that. But, you know, Naomi doesn't eat much and the land is, who knows, it might go up in value. So he decides... I'm going to do it. I'm going to redeem the land. Decision made. And you, as the audience, how do you feel? You're supposed to feel really bad right now, folks. Oh, no, Mr. Poloni Alomi, or whatever his name is. P.A., we'll call him. Uh, Oh, no, he's not supposed to do this. This is supposed to be Boaz. But Boaz, you can see he's kind of setting it up. And he's got a plan in mind. Um, this is like if, uh, in, back to the Princess Bride, if, if Miracle Max had not shown up and Wesley would have died and Princess Buttercup ends up marrying, is it Humperdinck? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's a bad ending, right? This is not good. Well, uh, hang in there. Verse 5. Boaz says, well, there's just one more thing. One, one small detail that you need to know about. And that is that on the day that you buy the land, and this could be your day, right, today. These guys are here. We're going to decide it right now. So on the day you buy the land, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, uh, and meaning you marry her. Do you... Have you ever backpedaled... You're going fast this way, and then all of a sudden, and that is—he's really when he hears that, he does a quick cost-benefit thing, and he realizes that this is not going to be good. Here's why: if he marries Ruth, having Naomi around was one thing, but having to to marry Ruth, Ruth is still of child-bearing age, and should Ruth happen to have a son, he's not—he's going to lose. All of the land to Naomi's family of her previous husband. So he, it, all of his money he shells off the land is basically lost. And uh, things get really complicated. It endangers his own estate. And if you, we don't know, but it could really get complicated if he happens to be married and he goes home that day and says, "Guess what, honey? I bought I bought some land, but I also married another woman and along the way. You know, I had to. You know, and what's she going to say? We don't know what. We don't know any of those background details. But at any rate, his life gets really complicated, and he's not going to do. Uh, he's backing out. In fact, he he says it like five different ways. Uh, verse six. Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Uh, verse 8, uh, buy it yourself. And then he takes, to, to put an emphasis on it, he takes off his sandal. And that, the explanation there, that really means that I'm, you know, it's yours. So, um, backpedaling, big time. All right, so what is the writer saying to us? This is... Most of the uh, commentators would say, the writer is trying to tell us there's a big difference between Mr. Poloni-Almoni and Boaz in terms of their character. And this is for us to realize that um, this guy operated on the basis of what makes self-interest, basically. And self-interest, is that a strong force in your life? (laughs) Like, it's really strong, isn't it? I mean, just think, we don't even question it. You do things in your self-interest. Of course, but Boaz doesn't. Boaz does the right thing regardless of the cost. And what a way to talk about character. If you commit to that, find out how hard that is to do. To do the right thing regardless of the cost is at the very heart of character. And Boaz has that kind of character. He has that Hesed love that um, it's the same thing Ruth had. It cost Ruth basically her life. She could have gone back to her home and married someone and lived out her life with her home. But she chose to cling to Naomi no matter what it costs. And we find this, that's, it's tied into that word hesed that we've been talking about. All right. So finally, let's look at the how it all plays out here. Uh, the prayers get answered. And one of the things that we can say, back to the summary statements that we started with about the book of Ruth, there are no miracles in this book. I mean, there's no supernatural events where, that can't be explained in a natural way. There's ordinary people like you and I making decisions and in everyday life and in the background, God is doing 10,000 things. And that's Life. You either live by faith or you don't, but that's what this book is saying. And so, uh, on the other hand, every prayer in the book gets answered. So you can actually go back and track all the prayers. There's quite a few. And you'll see how they all get answered. And... um, It's a beautiful uh, testimony to prayer. So we're going to just look at two of those prayers in verse 11. And these are the prayers uh, of blessing that are uh, said by the witnesses that are there that day, the 10 witnesses. And uh, there's two of them. And the first one has to do with fertility. And uh, we find that in verse 11, the elders and those at the gate then said to Boaz, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, that would be Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who built up the nation of Israel together. So what what the prayer is, is that there would be children. There would be an heir. This is for the miracle that we, you know, it's hard to see it as a miracle, but it is a miracle. In fact, it might be a miracle in the sense that it says that the Lord, they made they made love, and the Lord allowed her to be to conceive a child. So he may have opened her up to fertility in that way. We don't. It's kind of ambiguous what it really means, but we know that Ruth was married once before and she didn't have any children there. So maybe, you know, they have they have a son, and his name is Obed. So her prayer, the prayer of uh, fertility, is answered. And it's important to see that what what Ruth does here is another sacrifice. She actually makes Naomi the foster mother of this son. That, that is not an irresponsible act. That is an act of love on Ruth's part to give this son to Naomi so that she can have an heir, that she can have an eternal life situation in her life. She, uh, Naomi has gone from empty, to full, and we have this beautiful picture of Naomi at the end, say with a with a, a son on her lap, and she is looking down on him and wondering about the future for him, and with full fullness of heart, and she has these women that come to her and said. You know, Naomi, you have been so blessed. Your daughter-in-law Ruth is worth more than seven sons. Seven is the number of completeness or perfection, and that would have been the ideal for any uh, anybody. That kind of like the the prayer for any woman for fertility would be, "May you have seven sons." And Ruth is better than seven sons. She's better than perfection. That's how strong Ruth has been in Naomi's life. Beautiful picture. Uh, as we come to the end here. And then the second uh, blessing that is prayed for is for a prominent name. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So famous uh, in, at least in that part of Israel. And that prayer is also answered in a bigger way than the way it's prayed. So the story begins with these two widows Neither of them have any, nobody knows who they are, uh, really. They're, they're uh, very poor, and they come back to Bethlehem. And uh, that's where the story begins. By the, the time the story ends, we realize that we have this little boy named Obed. And then it says, Obed became the f- uh, father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of David. Have you heard of David. I mean, is this an answer to a prayer for prominence and fame? He is the greatest king Israel ever had uh, minus Jesus Christ. But he is, the, he is the gold standard for all the other kings. Every king that comes along is measured by how they compare to David, the one who had a heart for God, the one to whom God made a, a promise or a covenant that his kingdom would last forever forever not for a short time, but forever. And we think, okay, as we read through the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we see uh, these kings are really, some of them are really bad characters. And then the whole nation just sort of dissolves around 600 BC, and then they go into exile, and they come back, and we lose track of all these kings. And we wonder, what is that prayer, or how does that prayer work now, or what is that, how does that promise that, that God made to David uh, work out now? And so we then come to oh, Matthew, the Christmas story. And the Christmas story begins in, in Nazareth. But where does it really find its fulfillment? It's in this city called Bethlehem, this little town of Bethlehem. Where, that's where David was from. It's where Ruth migrated to. So Bethlehem has a very, very prominent place in these stories. But Matthew begins his Christmas story. Uh, this is a thousand years after David with a genealogy. And in that genealogy, Ruth's name, along with, there's a three other women, and that's unusual to have women in those genealogies of that time, but, there's, but Ruth's name is spliced into the human ancestry of Jesus Christ. She's famous, and Boaz is too. These two people who showed each other Hesed, who lived by Hesed in their relational life, are part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ. Mr. Poloni Elmoni is not mentioned. He did get a good deal, de- or you know, he protected his estate. But that's not the main thing in life. And the really, the prominent name above all prominent names is the person of Jesus Christ. The name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of the lords. And he shall reign... If I was going to sing the yeah, the hallelujah chorus, um, that, that's the part I would, I would sing. He shall reign forever and ever. And he is our goel. He is our, uh, the one who shows us Hesed, He is the one who makes the empty full. Let us pray. Lord, fill us, we pray, in this Christmas season. Fill us, Lord fill us with a love that is not calculating dollars and cents, but a love that clings. A loving kindness that clings. Lord, that is part of your spirit. May your spirit live in us and through us. And Lord, bring hope to the empty by the promises that you bring to fill and for those, Lord, who are waiting for something, waiting for a better day, Lord, fill them with hope. Fill them with the hope of your Spirit's work, knowing that you're always at work. Jesus, you said my Father is always at work, and we are called upon to believe what you said is true. Fill us, O oh Lord, with yourself.